It is a great privilege to welcome the Honorable Mike Pompeo, the 70th Secretary of State of the United States, to Quentin Road Baptist Church. Mike Pompeo has served our nation with distinction, starting with his graduation at the top of his class at West Point, spending five years in active duty as an officer in the Army, and continuing in his roles as a U.S. Congressman, CIA Director, and Secretary of State. During his tenure as Secretary of State, he demonstrated a strong commitment to the country and its values. Secretary Pompeo focused on two big goals, fostering religious freedom and brokering Middle East peace. He established the Ministerial to Advance Religious Freedom and the Unalienable Rights Commission. He moved the U.S. Embassy in Israel to Jerusalem and negotiated the historic Abraham Accords. His efforts were seen as a demonstration of his dedication to both the Jewish people and the State of Israel. His advocacy for religious freedom made him a friend to all people of faith, but especially to the Christian community. We are honored to have such a remarkable leader among us today, and we invite you to join us in welcoming Secretary Mike Pompeo. Thank you. Thank you all. Thank you. Bless you. Thanks, everyone. Good morning. Thank you. Good morning. Great to be with you. Beautiful spring day. Um, it is an incredible blessing to be here. Jim and Karen, thank you for hosting me here and allowing me to have an opportunity to speak to friends, to people who are fellow followers of Jesus. So thank you all for this chance to be in a place that feels a lot like home for me. I've spent the last 25 years of my life in Kansas, South Central Kansas. My wife and I I taught fifth grade Sunday school at Eastminster Presbyterian Church. Don't laugh. Best preparation to be Secretary of State ever. <laughs> if you can keep fifth grade boys in their seat for an hour, Chairman Kim's got nothing on you. Uh, and if you can do church politics, my friends, <laughs> you can do politics anywhere. Uh, it's an incredible blessing. I want to spend uh, a few minutes sharing a couple of thoughts and ideas and encouragements with you. And then uh, Pastor Jim and I will come out and we'll have a good conversation about things that matter in every one of our lives. Uh, you, sh you should know that as I look out at this group today who came to see an unemployed former diplomat <laughs> speak, it is encouraging. It reminds me that the Lord is at work. And during my time, both as CIA director and as Secretary of State, there were lots of hard problems. By the time things got to me, they weren't easy. Uh, persecution of Christians in Nigeria, the challenges in northern Iraq to people of faith, the Muslims who are being held in difficult conditions inside of China, all, all hard problems trying to preserve and protect religious freedom for people around the world, all the while making sure we got it right here at home. But what gave me the courage, someone asked me this morning, like, how'd you do that? Like, how'd you make it through four years? Um, it was the fact that I know that there's something bigger than me, that there was something grander even than this exceptional nation, and that our Judeo-Christian traditions matter. And as I would struggle and ask my team to try and help me figure out how to work our way through these problems, I was always mindful that the Lord was watching over me and over our country and over my boss, President Trump, and he was helping us, guiding us, making sure that so long as we remained faithful, he would grace us with his blessings, and he did and he continues to bless this great nation. And you being here this morning is enormously encouraging because you were the people when we talked about America first. You are the people we were thinking of. Folks who get up on a Sunday morning, come to church, worship with their fellow parishioners. They fight through a time when our bars were open and our churches were closed. You, you all are amazing patriots and amazing people. And bless you for giving me the chance to be here. I... Uh, I tried to live this out every day, and you should know you can go on YouTube and find a few moments that my mother wouldn't be proud of. <laughs> but for the most part, I tried to live out my Christian faith in my time in service. People would ask, Mike, how can you be the Secretary of State and also be true to your commitment to Jesus Christ? And I always thought it was an odd question because I don't know how one does it without that. 
I, I, don't know how, I don't know how one would possibly even contemplate separating these two ideas. It is my faith that is my understanding of human dignity. It is the fact that we know that our rights came from our creator that allowed me to actually execute my duties to our country and to our constitution. They are deeply intertwined and I never tried to separate them. You should know the media tried to separate me from them. <laughs> uh, fantastic headlines for someone who is open about his or her faith. You all have lived this, I am sure, in your lives as well. Uh, you know, the, the New York Times had an article that said, uh, Mike Pompeo, Christian zealot. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, there was another one that said, uh, a Christian Mike Pompeo more dangerous than Vladimir Putin. Uh, <laughs> fair enough. And then the, the best headline of all was uh, Mike Pompeo, God's diplomat. To which my son said, not bad, dad, not bad. Uh, you, it, but if you read the article, you would realize this was not intended as a compliment. Um, God's diplomat, an epitaph I think we would all take. I tried to do that while I was serving, uh, and I'm, I'm sure I had mixed success. But there were great moments that reminded me that I'd had at least some opportunity to shine my light in the same way that I pray that you all will shine your light every day. I was traveling in a pretty difficult place. I climbed off an uh, airplane in the dark of the night, and the gentleman who greeted me on the ground placed something in my hand. He shook my hand, but he put something in my hand, and I walked to the car, got in the vehicle, flipped the light on, and in the palm of my hand was a Bible, a small Bible. And inside that, he had written, uh, Mr. Director, I was a CIA director at the time, Mr. Director, you have been a light to me, and you have changed my life. I don't know who he is. Um, I, I only know that at least in that one place, one person was able to make a difference in someone else's life. I pray that we can all continue to do that and we will each do that in our own place. I'll never forget, uh, I, I had wanted to give this speech. Uh, President Obama had gone to Egypt and given what became known as the apology speech. Some of you will remember this. I, was, I did not like it. <laughs> so I wanted to go back to Cairo and give remarks when I got this incredible opportunity. So I went to Cairo uh, to give a speech, and as I was drafting it in the preparation for the day, uh, the first sentence of the speech that I wrote out was, I am Mike Pompeo, and I'm an evangelical Christian. Speech comes back from the team, crossed out. <laughs> so I wrote it back in. Uh, crossed out yet a second time, I invited the speech team to come up, and we had a conversation. I, I wanted to include that. I wanted to include that because I wanted the leaders in that country, nearly all Muslim leaders, some Coptic Christians, but I wanted every leader to know where I came from, to know how I thought about the world, know how I looked at them, how I viewed them as, as fellow human beings deserving of the dignity that comes from what the Lord gave to each of us. So the good news is I was in charge and I got to use the line. <laughs> and to this day, to this day, I get more comments about that line in that speech than any other words I uttered as a Secretary of State. These compliments come from people of every faith, from Jews, from Christians, from Muslims, who said, Mike, we appreciated your boldness. We appreciated your seriousness. And we appreciate the fact that you were prepared to talk about the fact that you worked to be disciplined in your faith every day. We knew where you came from. It's not that we always agreed to you, with you. It's not that even inside our Abrahamic traditions, we all agree on every part of the Bible and the theology that surrounds it. But we knew who you were. Can we all pray that each of us will be able to continue to do that? I pray and hope you will pray for me and for my wife Susan and our family as we move through these next months that we will be able to continue to do that. To stand strong in our belief and our understanding of the Lord as our Savior. And the knowledge that whatever works we do, Whatever good we are able to achieve, it is only through his grace that we were able to do so. I, uh, I'm in this special place here at Quentin Baptist. Uh, it's pretty neat. You all, you all understand the criticality of the capacity for human beings to be able to worship and practice their faith. And you all live it out by coming here, not just today, but you come and support the preschool. You come and support the programs. You, you pray for Jim and Karen that they will continue to lead and grow this community. Thank you for that. It is a blessing to me. We, uh, Pastor Jim talked about this, and I'm sure we'll talk about it again. My mission set as your Secretary of State was to 
create space for religious freedom around the world. That was important to me as a believer, but it was also an important part of our national security. Nations that are freer, that people can practice their faith, or if they choose not to have faith to do that too, are less likely to cause conflict with us here at home. And it means that our young men and women who sign up to be in our military are at less risk that they'll have to do something difficult in a tough place someday. But I was always mindful that as I was working around the world to create religious freedom without a backbone of that here in the United States, without churches, without pastors, without rabbis, without clerks, who were prepared to defend against the enormous power of the United States government and against state governments. They weren't prepared to defend that basic right that it didn't matter what the 70th Secretary of State did in some far off place. I was always mindful that you, the work that gets done here in the little places, in the small communities where we take chili to the Wednesday night dinner, or we coach the little league team, or we encourage someone who's struggling or take a meal to someone who needs help. These are the places where our, where our Christian faith is lived out and we should never let the government take that away from us, not ever. I'll close, I'll, 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 close, I'll close with this thought. Sometimes I will give speeches, we'll talk about foreign policy, and these problems are tough and it's pretty dark. What Vladimir Putin is doing today in Ukraine, killing innocent civilians is horrific. What the Chinese Communist Party is doing to its own people, running a massive surveillance state, telling women that they have to have abortions. These, these are tragedies, these are difficult things. They are dark. I spent four years in some really difficult spots. And so I'll talk about them and my wife will say, Mike, when, when they leave the room, they must surely want to go pop a Xanax. <laughs> uh, that won't happen here today. We'll go pray. And this is what I wanted to share with you. In spite of all the challenges, in spite of all the difficulties, all the things that we spend time trying to make better, know that I can feel a stirring in this country. I can see it. I can feel it. I can touch it. I can observe people in America prepared to stand up for things that maybe even two or five or 10 years ago, they were less prepared to go fight for. I think we may have all thought that we could take a holiday, take a little time away, that we didn't have to go fight for that next generation of liberty and freedom. But today, I think that's fundamentally changed. I think parents have had enough of what's taking place in our schools. I think families have had enough of the government trying to separate them and pull them apart. And I think people of faith have had enough of their government trying to deny them the most fundamental right that accrues to each of us because of the Lord. Bless you for that. Continue that stirring. Be part of it as you are today. Stay in that fight. We will prevail. The Lord is on our side. Thank you. Thanks for being with me today. Bless each and every one of you. And may God bless this great place here at Quentin Baptist Road Church too. Thank you all very much. Thank you so much, Secretary Pompeo, for those wonderful words. And we're gonna be interviewing the Secretary in a few minutes for our TV show, In Grace, which airs on the largest Christian network in the world, TBN, and of course, on YouTube and other outlets. While we're setting up for that, I'd like to share with you a little bit more about who we are and our ministry here at this church and In Grace. Our purpose for over 50 years has not changed reaching people with hope and healing that can only be found in Jesus. This is the heartbeat of our late founder, Dr. James Scudder Sr., and now his son, Pastor Jim Scudder Jr. Three ministries operate as one to achieve this purpose. Quentin Road Baptist Church, Dayspring Bible College and Seminary, and In Grace Media Ministries. In Grace broadcasts and streams adventure content with a message. It can be seen on Wednesday nights on TBN, the world's largest Christian television network. Over 150,000 watch In Grace each week. In Grace Radio is broadcast on 550 radio stations. Dayspring Bible College and Seminary was founded in 1982. In those 40 years, Dayspring has trained hundreds from around the world to be servants of Christ. Our graduates are pastors, teachers, and missionaries that are doing the Lord's work here and abroad. Quentin Road Baptist Church is dedicated to helping hurting people. 
we send medical teams to India, Thailand, the Philippines, and other countries to offer free services. Quentin Road is also a beacon of light here in the Chicago area with dozens of local outreaches, such as a huge Christian preschool, school, dyslexia road to learning program, and foster family Christmas party. Another amazing ministry born here is Simple Steps Addiction Recovery, which over the past 20 years has helped thousands reclaim their lives through Christ's power to break the chains of addiction. Simple Steps is now an international ministry with 30 chapters in 14 states in the U.S. and is now in Canada. All these ministries are possible because of people like you. If you would like to invest in the work of Christ, please use the donation envelope in your program and place it in the donation boxes at the exits or use the QR code for online giving. Thank you for caring and supporting the outreaches of Quentin Road, Dayspring, and In Grace. And again, we, we appreciate your consideration in supporting and investing in grace. You know, we believe that the answer to all of our problems is Jesus and the gospel. And we love the freedom that we have in the United States to be able to say that and share that and bring it all around the world. So that's who we are. That's what we do. If you're newer here, uh, we would love to uh, have you consider investing in grace. And uh, that would be wonderful. And those of you that are members of our church... Uh, we know that you'll continue to give faithfully. God, so uh, one thing about us, we count it an honor to give to God. We love it. It's called hilarious giving, a cheerful giver. And so uh, we, we, we just give. God's a giver, and God wants us to give. Does God need our money? The one that owns a cattle on a thousand hills? No. But he wants, he wants to see your faith. He wants to see that you think it's better to have less and to give to him than to keep it, you know? And then he is so good. He is so good, and he meets our needs. So anyways, I just wanted to let you know more about our ministry. I would like to welcome back to the stage Secretary Pompeo. Uh, we are so excited to be able to do a sit-down interview. Let's give him another hand for coming. Great Thank you. So now you'll see the book here. Um, when we when we decided to and have Secretary Pompeo come, I hadn't read the book yet, but I knew enough about you uh, to respect you and to understand what you do. Uh, and then I read the book, and I'm telling you this: it is unbelievable. Uh, Joel Rosenberg, a friend of yours, an author, he called it like a, a, a thriller. It really is because it's real life stuff, all the ins and outs and, and the things that you experienced as congressman, intelligence committee member, CIA director, and of course, secretary of state. So let me highly recommend the book, Never Give an Inch. We have them um, here and they are signed, pre-signed. And so let me encourage all of you to get that. That's very kind. Thank you. Okay. The book was really good before the CIA cleared it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's half redacted, exactly. but it's still great. Exactly. Yeah. All but the black lines. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you, you've had quite, quite a life, uh, but in the book, your son writes the forward, Nick, and he said that you were living a quiet, normal Midwestern life. And then I'll quote him. Then my father lost his mind and decided to run for Congress. Yes. So how crazy was it to yeah. enter into this sphere? And what are the blessings that uh, you've well, got? Well, first of all, I think every son thinks their father loses their mind from time to time. <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't think we're particularly unique in that. Um, look, it was uh, I was running a small company, a, a machine shop in Kansas. We had a couple hundred people that uh, we were responsible for and their families. Um, but I was watching a country head to a direction that I didn't like. This would have been 2009, 2010. Uh, it was making it more difficult for my business to be successful. It was becoming more difficult for the team members, part of their aerospace, to live their lives. Uh, and then a whole bunch of things came together, and my wife and I prayed about it. So it, it wasn't crazy. Um, everyone thought it was crazy. Uh, there were eight people in the race already when I joined, uh, when I said I was going to run. Nobody knew who the heck I was. Uh, it's a funny story. Uh, in January of 10, uh, the team did a poll 
And they came back and said, uh, 2% of the people know who you are. To which I responded, yeah, that's just family. <laughs> I have a bunch of cousins there. And I said, I, and I know that family. I'm only going to get half of those votes. So, so, there, so there remains much work to do. Uh, um, it was, um, I, I, I say that, we, we joke about it being crazy. It was, um, it was lovely. People were great. We got a chance to connect with people all across the south central part of uh, the great state of Kansas uh, and meet people where they were. And it, it changed my life enormously. Uh, I was blessed. We were fortunate. We, we won the race. Uh, uh, but the most important thing came from that is that we made uh, lots of friends in pockets and places we wouldn't have. Uh, the people who ran my campaign were folks from our church. <laughs> bunch of, a bunch of uh, great ladies came and said, we'll run your office. We'll take care of that. Uh, and they have remained amazing friends for these now, what, 12, 15 years. Mm. Pretty special. Well, it's, it's, it's a big ask to, uh, to do all the things that you've done. And by doing them, you now are threatened, your, your life and your family. So you have to live a, a totally different life now after all of that. So first of all, was it worth it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, because it's, I mean, you can't, you just can't go to the store anymore. You know, it's, it's, yeah. it's if a you, challenge. If, if you see me in Walmart, wave, and I apologize that aisle seven is closed. <laughs> <laughs> that would actually be nice, I think. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, no, it was... Uh, so we do have this threat from the regime, from the Iranian regime. The Ayatollah wants to kill me uh, and is doing his level best to do so. But I have a team of folks who uh, provide great protection, State Department team that does amazing work. Uh, but most importantly, we count on the Lord to provide that protection for me and for my wife and for my son and, and his now new bride. Uh, and it was totally worth it. We, um, it was a result of the decision that was made uh, to take a strike on General Soleimani, uh, I am the, the revenge target for that strike. They, they are confident it was me who, who was pushing it. It's true. Um, and so, uh, but we were right. We saved American lives that day. He, he had killed 500 Americans, uh, a couple of friends of mine in the Gulf Wars. And he was plotting to kill more Americans in Baghdad, in Iraq, including probably folks from my team in the embassy. Uh, and President Trump, uh, on, on, on our recommendation, was bold, allowed us to take the strike. Uh, it was brilliantly executed. Uh, no other country could have done it. Uh, we literally, right, we fired uh, a Hellfire missile from 6,000 miles away and hit a moving vehicle within four inches of the target uh, and killed no one other than the intended victim. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was amazing. I take... I, I take... I, I take no credit for that. This is amazing men and women, young men and women working forward a decade and a half on the capability and then the execution of that by our Department of Defense and our intelligence services. Uh, I, not me. This was, this was a remarkable work. And we delivered a message to the Iranians and to the world that we were serious about defending you. And that's the most important thing. We stopped the plot. That was fantastic and important. But we delivered an important message to the world that... Uh, America was back. We were going to lead. We were going to protect America and its interest everywhere. We were never going to apologize for America. And uh, it, it changed It changed the course of our time in office. Uh, and so we, ha- we have this little problem, this little tail problem, um, but we, we did the right thing. Well, thank you. Um, l- let me ask you this. I know that everyone's been asking you one question. And uh, it's not how'd, how'd you it's lose not that how much weight, weight you lost. Yes, exactly. But, but that's great, too. Yes. But no, the question is, uh, are you, you, will you be running for president? I know your answer has been you're thinking about it, considering it, yeah. and you'll, we'll know when, when you know. But that's a big decision, obviously. Uh, so what is going into your, your thought process on that? Yes, uh, it's a big decision. Uh, Susan and I are praying, uh, trying to figure out if this is the right next thing. If running for Congress was crazy, imagine <laughs> putting yourself forward. And I say that uh, with enormous respect for America, for, for someone to step forward and say, I believe I should lead the greatest nation ever to exist is quite something for someone like me. Uh, and so we're praying, trying to figure out if this is the right time, if this is the right place. The, the issues that are in front of us are deep and challenging. I have no intention of ever stopping working on those issues, but we want to make sure that we're getting this right, that we, we, that the, the Lord has said, yes, this is the place you should go. So and, and work. And hopefully in the next few weeks, we'll, we'll figure our way through that. Uh, it, it's quite a daunting thing. I, I pray we will have a, whoever decides to run, and there will be folks probably 
all across the political spectrum that'll put themselves forward. My, my deep prayer, no matter which candidates uh, declare, is that we'll have a serious conversation about the serious nature of what's taking place inside our country today. It is merited. It is worthy. Uh, it shouldn't be about tweets. shouldn't be about owning the libs. <laughs> Happy to do that, too. Uh, but it, it, this should be about the things that matter to families all across the country. And I hope we'll have that serious conversation. And I, when we do, I know you all will find a great next leader for our country. We uh, read in the book that you were at West Point and you attended a Bible study. Ah. Uh, at that Bible study, yes. you, it eventually led you to putting your trust in Jesus as your Savior. So talk about that. How did you end up at a Bible study? And then also, how has that uh, profoundly changed your life? So uh, I grew up in Southern California. My parents took us to Sunday school. Uh, they would take us, drop us off, and uh, pick us up. Uh, I was going to be in the NBA, so I didn't pay much mind to... What was being taught? I could, I could, I could sing this little light, but that was about it. Um, and I, I joke because it, I then had this incredible, the Lord was at work. Uh, your first summer at West Point, uh, is a pretty tough deal, pretty tough summer. On Sunday afternoons, you have a few hours and, uh, there was a chance to go have cookies and lemonade. And I thought, I'm in. <laughs> uh, and it turns out, uh, that this was a Bible study being led by two upperclassmen for the, a group of the freshmen. And I started going, uh, on every Sunday and uh, each Sunday, I, they taught me how to read the Bible. Uh, they, they brought me closer. It, it gave me it gave me something that I hadn't had before. And so over the course of what was seven or eight weeks in total, um, I, I came to know Jesus. And it's certainly just as just as that does for each of us changed everything in my life, changed how I think about the world things. Um, it brought me this lovely Christian woman, Susan, to be my wife. Uh, each of these things the Lord has bestowed upon me came as a result of these two young guys who took their Sunday afternoons to take a bunch of crazy freshmen and provide them lemonade and cookies and share the Lord's word with them. Uh, I've, I've tried to do that in my life just a little bit. I don't know that I've ever had the, uh, the, the, uh, the, the audacious ability to convert someone, but I pray that somewhere along the way, all of us get that chance. I, uh, I know who they are. I thank them constantly for what they did for me. So you have a, a worldview, and it's a Judeo-Christian worldview. Uh, you've called in your book um, some of the men that you've met with regularly, um, like Vladimir Putin, Xi Jinping, Kim Jong-un. You call them wicked. And does someone that doesn't have that Judeo-Christian value, do they understand the depths of evil in the world? And does that make us less safe that they don't understand that? Yeah, Pastor Jim, that's a fantastic question. I think it's true that if you don't understand this, if, if, if you can't accept this Judeo-Christian understanding of the world and humanity and these basic ideas, sometimes you just think, oh, they just have a different view than us. But it's just, it's not true. The, these people are truly wicked. Uh, that's the word I use, or evil. Um, they are, they are soulless. The, the grace has not touched them. And it means that as we try to apply our understandings, our Judeo-Christian understandings of how they'll think and how they'll respond, it is not productive. There's not a, a logic that flows from that because if you don't value hum, human life, if you see the world as as a, a purely secular and it's just about power, then then you make decisions that are fundamentally different than the ones we just think as a matter of logic. Surely Chairman Kim will get that it's better for 27 million North Koreans that he not have his nuclear weapons program, but he doesn't think about it's not, this doesn't enter his calculus. And so we always, we always prayed for them. Uh, I would grab my little team who I knew were uh, faithful people at the state department. We would pray before these meetings uh, that they would come to see it that way. But you have to, you have to know that because if you can't understand the depravity and the depths of the evil that sits inside of these mostly men's hearts, I think you can't begin to do the job you need to do to protect the United States from these folks who intend real harm upon us. One of your trips to North Korea, and I understand that you're the American that's met most with Kim Jong-un, you made a demand for the release of hostages, and you got on the airplane, and you said in your book that you said a quick prayer under your breath. You wrote this. You said, God hears even the quietest prayers. 
So I want to go into more detail on that hostage release, but talk about prayer and the importance of prayer in your life. Uh, goodness, I, uh, I prayed every morning uh, during my four years. These were busy, crazy days, but I always take a moment. I had a Bible open on my desk in case I forgot, <laughs> in case I got carried away or had a phone call interrupt my routine, my morning. Um, but I found a moment every day to pray to the Lord for his guidance and his grace and the discernment to do the task in front of me well that day. Uh, the, the failures were all mine, but any glory that came is his. And I knew that. And it helped me get through some incredibly difficult times. I mean, I, I worked for President Trump, for goodness sake. This was, uh, right? I mean, he's a, we're all unique, right? I ran a machine shop, for goodness sake. There'll never be another Secretary of State that ran a machine shop. You can, you can write it down. Um, the, the, right, it's, it's challenging stuff. Uh, and so that prayer mattered an awful lot. And that, that moment, uh, that moment when we got these three Americans back was maybe as a personal matter, the highlight of my time in service, uh, for those four years. I, um, I had traveled to Pyongyang on Easter weekend of 2018. Think about this. On Good Friday morning, I got up to meet Chairman Kim. Uh, it was quite the, in my mind, it was quite the juxtaposition to think about cavalry and Jesus and Gethsemane, right? And then realized that I'm going to get on a plane on Sunday night, and not only will I be out of North Korea, he'll be risen. Two good things. <laughs> uh, not not roughly equivalent, but both glorious. Um, on the second trip, um, I wanted to get the three Americans that were still held back home. Uh, we'd had one American, Otto Warmbier, who had been held in detention only to die from his maltreatment inside the North Korean prison. And so I wanted to get these three men out about 4.30 in the afternoon, at the end of a long day of conversations with Chairman Kim, uh, I, I told him that it was my expectation and that of the president that I'd have three more Americans on my plane when I left than when I arrived. And a uh, meeting ended shortly thereafter. And to your point, I got back, I drove back to the airport, was driven back to the airport, got on this beautiful white over blue airplane, American airplane. Yeah. Uh, by the way, thank you. It's a great airplane. Uh, I'm back in middle seats on Delta, just as life should be. Uh, and I said a, a short prayer. They, three of our team had been summoned to go to a hotel in downtown Pyongyang. And so we knew something was up. And then the, a white panel van came back to the airport, parked uh, maybe 80 meters away from our airplane. Uh, and out of the van come these three Americans. Uh, we didn't know. We didn't know. Uh, it's crazy. I, I, remember, I remember I was standing at the top of the steps and I was watching this and, and they one after another they hop out and they could walk. We didn't know what their health was. We thought they might be, we had a big medical team on the airplane. We were ready for whatever might uh, be in front of us. And they came and they got out and they took a few steps. They were walking and they saw that airplane and they started to move very quickly. Uh, and this story is told in a, such a, a lovely way by one of those hostages in the book. Uh, in his own words, translated, his English is good, but not great. It translated are his description of that moment for him. These were Christian men. He, uh, he was taken out of his cell with a hood over his head, thinking he was being led to his death to be killed, only to find that he gets out of this. It's hard for me even to speak about it. It's very emotional. He gets out of this vehicle and sees that his country did not leave him behind. Uh, it was really remarkable. When we land at Joint Base Andrews, there's two good stories. Uh, at first, I walked in, and it was 2.30 in the morning, and the president was there, and the whole cabinet, and uh, uh, Mrs. Trump said, I'd been the secretary of state for two weeks at this point, and Mrs. Mrs. Trump said, well, Mr. Secretary, what are you going to do next? <laughs> uh, and, you know, as I look back, I'm not sure I ever, I never talked to that, uh, but when, the, the, when we walked out on the tarmac to greet them, uh, the gentleman who wrote the story in the book handed me a three-by-five card uh, with a psalm that he had written down from memory on the flight home from his detention. Uh, I'll never forget that lovely testament uh, to his faith in Jesus Christ and what sustained him and his time in that prison and then the amazing work that America did in getting these three folks back to their families. And I actually wrote that down uh, as a question. So that was Psalm 126.3. Yes. The Lord hath done great things for us whereof we are glad. Amen. And I can hear the emotion in your voice um, and achieving that. And uh, that was hard to to do something better than that. Yeah. Your first two weeks on the job. Yeah. Well, that's wonderful. Uh, you also listed, and I was always always looking for 
scripture references, and there's many in the book, um, and references to faith. You listed 1 Corinthians 16, 13, which tells us to be strong and courageous. Um, and I think that's an important part of your life. That's, you know, never give an inch, um, fighting for the America that I love. And how, how does that principle, to be courageous and to be strong, how does that affect your life today? And how did it affect your tenure as CIA director and secretary of state? Oh, goodness. So, yes, that, that, that verse from 1 Corinthians is something that um, I remember well. Uh, and I would go back to, uh, there were lots of folks that didn't want us to succeed during these four years. Uh, certainly our adversaries around the world, but even folks here at home, where we had a couple of impeachments. We had a media that was asserting that President Trump was a Russian asset. Uh, this impacts one's life, but it's, we're, we're all human beings trying to make our way through this. Uh, reminds me, uh, Susan would get uh, notes from back home, from our friends back in Kansas. And she said, I always knew when Mike was up to something because my phone would blow up and it'd be our friends from Eastminster Presbyterian writing saying, praying for you. <laughs> and she says, about the fifth praying for you, I'd pick up the phone and call and go, what, what on earth are you doing? Uh, but we were, we, and it's Susan and me, we, 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 we were always mindful that we had a mission, that we had sworn this obligation to defend our country, and that as confessing believers, we had an obligation to live out our lives as best we could every day, uh, seeking his continued grace. And so this point about being strong is something that's been at the center of everything that I, I've tried to do and don't always get it right. You know, the book title is kind of a take on that, right? It's never give an inch. And it, it, I've been mocked a little bit for the title, I suppose. Uh, there's lots of things one can compromise on in life, right? There's lots of places where, you know, our son Nick wanted to go to bed at 8.30, thought he should go to bed at 8. We'd settle on 8.02, happy to compromise, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, but on the things that really matter, and Pastor Jim, you know this well, on the core tenets of our belief, on the essentials of our republic, our nation, there's no room. There's literally no room. It is worthy to fight for these things in the face of whatever is brought to you. Uh, you, you, you have an, you have a duty to do that, to stay, to stay engaged, uh, not to mock or belittle, but to make the arguments and defend the things that you know to be true. And we, we've seen this. Once you start to round those corners, once you soften those edges, once you give just a little bit, they, they, they will, they will move from saying, well, you should be tolerant to demanding that you celebrate their way of life. Uh, they will, they will, they will seek to say, well, not only do we want to teach certain things in our school, but we are going to put those at the forefront. We're going to make those mandatory. We're going to teach a set of ideas that are anathema to our very nation. Once, once you begin to, to not give that inch to, to, once you begin to give that inch, once you begin to round those edges, they'll drive a truck through it. And so you have to stand on the, on the precipice and stand your ground in the very far reach of the things you know to be true. And, uh, I, I, I tried to do that. Uh, every now and again, you get run over. Uh, but my, my prayer for all of us is that we will continue to do that. We'll continue to defend these things that we know to be true. I was, I, I saw the program. Thanks for getting my pronouns right. Uh, yeah. Uh, we, we know, we know, we know there are fundamental things that we know about human beings and who we are as Christians. And we should never, never give any space for anyone to deny that. Um, yeah. I'm going to be taking my grandchildren this, uh, in the next few months around America and show them why we're a great nation. Let me ask you this question. What is the secret to America's greatness? We were bequeathed by uh, the Lord and some amazing men, this incredible republic. And they knew, uh, they, they, they knew it, right? Uh, I was, when you're a cadet, uh, you'll, you, you show up and you get some uniforms, you get a rifle and you get the Federalist Papers. And I brought my own Bible, so I always had everything I needed. Uh, the truth is, uh, we are unique among nations in that our founders in the Declaration of Independence talked about God. They, 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 they knew that faith 
was at the center of our great nation. And that meant we had a First Amendment to the Constitution that said, if you don't want to practice your faith, that's fine. We're going to have religious freedom here. But they at the same time understood that this was a republic built on virtuous people and that that liberty and happiness flow from that Judeo-Christian tradition that are that is the bedrock of America. And so you're, you're in your the video you talked about unalienable rights and something I worked on at the State Department. If we as a nation walk away from those things, we're lost. Uh, and that that will be terrible for the next generation of Americans, and it will be even worse for the world. And so uh, uh, we we know that the greatness comes from this understanding and adherence to these ideas that are in our founding documents. And when we get those right, and I am convinced we will, in spite of all the things we see today, it, it always reminds me, uh, Winston Churchill had this great line. He said, don't worry, America always gets it right after they've exhausted all the other possibilities. <laughs> I think we're pretty close, uh, which means we're on the cusp of getting it really right. And places like this, Pastor Jim, places like this, are the places we will get it right. Uh, the, the last thought here is, this is not going to happen from Washington, D.C. You asked if I'm going to run for president. Uh, I pray we elect a, a, a believing, capable president of the United States. Uh, but the country is going to be saved in places like this, not from Washington. I, I, I firmly believe that. Uh, city councilmen, you've got some state elected officials here, school board members, district attorneys, Goodness gracious, a, a mayor in Chicago, perhaps, that, 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 wants, that wants to do the basic thing of make sure, that, like if someone commits a crime, we prosecute them. Right? The, the, these, we, we laugh, but these are, these are simple things that we just can never walk away from. And the greatness of America is that I can see the stirring. I can see people saying, I'm going to go do that. I'm going to go help Sally run for uh, county commissioner. I'm going to go help somebody become a uh, PTA chair or or sit on their homeowners association board. Anybody? Homeowners association board? <laughs> it was my first elected office. I, I was really angry about shake shingles in our home. And the truth is, to this day, I do not know which side of the argument I was on. <laughs> so any of you who are HOA board members, bless you. And you could be CI director one day. Uh, these are the places that American greatness exists. And our, our founders knew that. And so long as we all continue to do our part, we contribute to our faith community, we help our church, we do the things uh, around, then we're going to get another 250 really, really, really great years. Well, that's optimistic, and I appreciate that. Yeah, some, some feel like we're in a decline that's unrecoverable, but I know that you write that you, the U.S. can return to greatness. And so I, I love that optimism. And I, I agree. I think if we all do our part, it can happen. Let me ask you this. You were a very, um, a big thing for your tenure has been warning the United States about certain dangers. And one was China. Uh, China, uh, we just learned a few days ago, had brokered an agreement between Saudi Arabia and Iran, which is very surprising. So now China's status has been elevated by that. Um, you also were part of moving the embassy of the United States from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem in Israel and getting the Abraham Accords negotiated. Um, how will that, that story about China and Saudi Arabia and Iran affect the possibility of Saudi Arabia joining the Abraham Accords and having a, a peace with Israel? Goodness. Um, it, I, I don't know that I, I, I fully have processed. I don't know what the ramifications of that are. Look, we'd all like hostilities between Iran and the world to, to be tamped down, to be reduced. Uh, I suspect that's not the case. That's not what actually happened there. The Iranians are among the least trustworthy leaders that I encountered. Uh, but we can build out on the Abraham Accords. I'm convinced of it. And I'm convinced too. I know you just returned from Saudi Arabia with a, a trip. Uh, I am convinced that the leadership in the kingdom wants to get this right too. They, they understand that this, that Israel is the rightful Jewish homeland. Uh, they're trying to find their way there. When we were working on the Abraham Accords, it was, it was remarkable, uh, to, to work with these Muslim leaders who knew that they were on the wrong side of history in the sense of the, 
Israel had this, it was, it was going to be there and that their foreign policy shouldn't be the destruction of the nation of Israel. Uh, but it took, it's complicated process for a lot of reasons. Uh, but amazing leaders, the Lord put amazing leaders, Prime Minister Netanyahu, President Trump, Mohammed bin Zayed, uh, the Crown Prince in Bahrain, the leadership in Morocco, put them all in this place for this moment. I'm convinced of it that allowed them to get over this decades long, uh, hurdle. Uh, it took, uh, it took lots of pieces. There were big teams, uh, on our side and theirs. Uh, but none of that happens without the crown prince in Saudi Arabia. None, none of those other nations would have agreed to do that unless they had had approval from uh, Mohammed bin Salman. Uh, and so I'm confident that that nation will get there too. There are, uh, lots of other countries that we pray will join. We, we often focus on the Middle East, but think about uh, the big Muslim populations in Asia and in Indonesia and in Malaysia. I pray that they too come one day will come to see that these Abrahamic faiths ought to be on the same side of history and that the nation of Israel and the city of Jerusalem in particular are important places to each of our faiths. Uh, they ought to be places, it ought to be a place of peace and that, uh, these traditions, the, the 3000 years of Jewish tradition and the Christian traditions in that place should be maintained and preserved. One last question. And this has been very enjoyable. Um, and I hate to end it, but this is the last question. Uh, you write, I think in the last chapter of your book, about a family that immigrated from China to the United States. And they wrote you, and they told you the name of their son, which was Tristan Pompeo Chu. And also... Italian and Chinese together, go figure. <laughs> exactly. It, it, it's fusion, it might yeah, actually fusion. work. Yes, exactly. Uh, so, and then they also asked you, when he's 18, if you would recommend him to West Point. So talk about, what, what did that mean to you? A family from China, they know what uh, oppression is, and now they're here, they're living the, the, the freedoms, they're experiencing the freedoms that we have, and they've honored you with that. What, what did that mean for you? Uh, it was so, uh, so touching, so kind, uh, so generous. Uh, we reached out. I, I've spoken to the family now. Um, I said, I hope you don't regret that someday. <laughs> uh, right? Uh, but the truth is they, uh, they, they had seen uh, some stories uh, of work that I had done to protect uh, house churches inside of China to try and give more space for both Christian, for, for both Protestants and Catholics inside of China to worship. And that had moved them. It had changed their lives. It made them more courageous. And for them to honor me in this way was just absolutely lovely. They're amazing people. Uh, it was especially encouraging because when one defends America from the threat from Xi Jinping, sometimes you get called a racist Right, like you don't care. And in, the truth is we were trying to help 1.4 billion Chinese people live freer, more noble, more human lives. Uh, and for them, that's one family to recognize that is pretty cool. And for them to say, hey, would you nominate and help our, our son get into West Point? Sign me up. <laughs> well, th- uh, listen, we've really enjoyed this time. Thank you very, very much for taking the time, for coming all the way to Illinois. Uh, it's, you know, no, people don't normally come to Illinois when it's snowing. <laughs> so we, we appreciate you. Thank you so much for your diligence, your service, your love for the Lord. And I pray for your future success, whatever that might be. But I'm uh, personally hoping that you will uh, be in, in the public sphere again. Thank, Thank you, you very much, Jim. Thank you very much. Thank you all. Thank you all. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Thank you all. What a wonderful uh, time we've had today. And let me end with this. You know, all the problems that we have in our world are almost insurmountable. When you look at them, uh, most of us are really, really worried. Like, how can we possibly get past these major, major issues. And all I can come back to is there's hope. And the hope is that uh, there is a God. Uh, you know, just look around. There has to be a God. Uh, we see the complexities in this world. We see the, 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 the beauty. We see the vastness. And to say there isn't is foolish. So there is a God. Uh, then why is there evil? Why is there pain? Why is there suffering? Why are there earthquakes 
You know, why do these things happen? Well, I'll tell you this. God created a thing right, and we've messed it up. Don't blame God for the pain and the sorrow that we see around us. Let's blame ourselves. Let's blame the devil. There is a devil. Uh, and and th- that's bad news because we've messed it up. We've sinned. We've gone against God. We've rebelled. The good news is that he loves us so much that he sent his son. His name is Jesus. He came. He lived a perfect life. He didn't sin one time. He healed people. He raised the dead. He's changed my life. And he can change your life. He can save you. He died on a cross, innocent, perfect. He poured out his blood for your sins and for mine. And they put him into a grave. They put a stone and a Roman guard, but nothing could contain Jesus for he rose again the third day. He's alive and he wants to save you. How do I know that? Because the Bible says that God loved the world in John three sixteen, He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. This is where most people get it wrong. They think I can earn eternal life. I can earn paradise and nirvana. No, you can't. You have to be given that as a gift. And the fact is that Jesus paid for our sins. And he said, this is, these are Jesus' words, that God, his father, loved the world so much that he gave his son. He gave himself to die for us. And whoever, whosoever, anybody, I can, I can speak to any crowd anywhere in the world. And we've just returned from Israel, uh, from Jordan, from Saudi Arabia, and from UAE. And I could, any, anybody that I met, I could look them in the eye and say, God loves you. Jesus died for you. If you'll put your faith in him, you'll be saved. And so that word whosoever includes you as well. Whosoever, what? Believeth in him. You say, well, that's too simple. I have to do my part. No, you can't do anything. You have to put your faith, total faith in him. And when you do that, look what happens. You will not perish. That word, I believe, means eternal damnation in hell. There is such a place. Jesus spoke more about hell than he did heaven. I don't want to scare you, except I also don't want to not tell you the truth. Okay, whoever uh, believes in him should not perish, amen, but have everlasting life. It's the greatest news in the world. It's a gift from God, and he wants you just to receive it by faith. If you've never done that, let me encourage you to take this opportunity to put your faith in him right now. Would you please bow with me as we're going to close the service in prayer, but also uh, just take a moment to, to think about your life and to think about where you're at with this. Uh, you, you love America probably, and that's why you're here. But have you ever settled this, your eternity? Have you ever settled it with God? If you haven't, do it right now. You can say something like this in silent prayer to the Lord. Say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. But at this moment, I put my faith in Jesus. I trust in him. And if you're doing that, the Bible says you're born again. You're saved today, tomorrow, and forever. That is the good news of the gospel. And that is what will change not only your life and your destination, your eternal destination, but it'll also change our world. It'll change our country.